the question is, what is a self? <laughs> like, what is myself? You know, because I, I think for me, I guess expressing myself would be probably just showing the insides of my brain, like the way that my brain works and the kind of lyrics that I like. It's, I, I guess when I said I don't, I'm not expressing myself, I, I, I rarely sit down to go, I'm feeling this way today. Let me tell you about how I'm feeling. It tends to be more like I had an idea. I saw two things that went together and let me show you how I think they correlate. And I guess that that is self-expression because I'm expressing my mind. Um, but I'm, but it's, I, I, I guess I think of it, it's not catharsis for me. It's not emotional catharsis. Yeah. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. For nearly 20 years, Ben Shive has been producing and collaborating with musicians including, but not limited to, J.J. Heller, Colony House, Ellie Holcomb, Dave Barnes, The Grey Havens, Andrew Peterson, Melanie Penn, Randall Goodgame, Sandra McCracken, Jill Phillips, and Keith and Kristen Getty. He recently signed on as a writer for Getty Music. Ben sat down to talk with me about him writing and the benefits and frustrations of limits. Ben Shive, I am super excited to have you on the Habit Podcast. I love talking to you about writing and collaboration, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, we've been, we've had this on the dock for a long time. We um, I keep on running into you at Belmont, and every time I see you there, we're, we we talk about doing this. So I'm glad we made yeah. it happen. Well, here we are; it's happening. Uh, yeah. So, so you in the last I don't know is it year or so you've been. Tell me about this thing you're doing with the Gettys. Um, yeah, and the the in Getty in, in the Getty Cinematic Universe, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, well, um, it kind of uh, snuck up on me. I was just minding my business and and doing what I've always done, which is kind of producing uh, like independent mm -hmm. literary, you know, uh, kind of poetic singer songwriters with a sort of indie bent, you know, um, mm -hmm. and had been doing that for a long time. And then um, right around the time COVID happened, I got called by Keith Getty to do a record for he and his wife that was going to be kind of right up my alley, sort of orchestral and quiet and stuff that I love to do. Mm -hmm. um, it was the first time working with them and it was great. And then somewhere midstream on that record, he called me and he said he kind of pitched me this idea of signing on with their team as a writer yeah. and it couldn't have I, I i did not expect it did not expect to be interested uh -huh. and it couldn't have come at a better time because i was i think probably when we're having this phone call i was you know 39 or 40 mm -hmm. and i had just reached the point where i was like i was creeping on creeping up on 100 records that i'd produced mm -hmm. and when you produced in bulk like that and you're approaching midlife you're just primed to have the thought of like what what does it mean what am <laughs> i doing i'm going to make another record it's going to give someone another two to three years of artist life yeah. and then not be forgotten necessarily but it can feel like that you know yeah. it can feel like we're going to do another one and then who knows what happens to it yeah. They never call, they never write, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I, I was really kind of at that point of going like, what, what is it? What am I doing? And what does it mean? Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm, I recognize that that might make it sound like I'm dissing someone or something. And I'm really not at all. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that I, you know, I believe, and I still believe in all the artists that I've worked with. And I like, I'm so glad that I've 
served them and their careers. But I just had hit a point where at the very least I needed to change, just to change the lateral move. Um, But I think I also might've just needed a mission that felt like a little bigger than me Uh and a little bigger even than any one artist. And Keith's whole pitch was kind of like, um, he told me that he wanted to supply the church with a hymnal. And I think he meant that in a metaphorical sense, even though I think he's also working on a hymnal, but uh, (laughs) he wanted to give the church a collection of songs that would last more than 20 years. Um, Because, you know, when you write pop music for the church, which is great, I'm glad people are writing pop music for the church. And sometimes I do. But when you do that, you're giving the church a collection of songs to sing that they won't want to sing in 20 years because they're going to sound stupid. Like Mm -hmm. pop music is like a cool haircut. It's like, it looks dumb in (laughs) photographs in 15 years. Um, And so he was, he, he was like, my goal is to write songs that could uh, still sound just as out of style in a hundred years as they do now. (laughs) Yeah. So you could teach them to your grandchildren. You know, yeah. and well, in a hundred years, you won't be teaching anything to anyone, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and he said, he was like, I've been writing songs since I wrote in Christ alone. And he he was like, I'm not sure if I've written another good song since in Christ alone, hmm. but I'm just going to keep on doing it. And like something about that, that might sound jaded or something, but it was like the magic words to me. of just kind of huh. like, there's a humility in just going, Hey, we're just going to keep on trying and we're probably mostly going to fail and and maybe we'll succeed once or twice and if we do we will have accomplished something that's like that's got a shelf life that goes way beyond us and that that was just the right words for me at that moment so um i kind of asked around asked my friends asked andrew you know is this something you could see me doing because i'm not sure if i can see me doing it i've never thought about doing it everybody was like you should try it what's the worst that could happen and i'm so glad i did um for a number of reasons one is like I think one of the things that I was feeling as I approached 40 was just the the loneliness of being a producer um, that like, I'm always with someone, but I'm always sort of separate from them in a way. Like we're, we're united in that we're trying to do something, but at the end of the day, we kind of go our separate ways Mm. and there's a little more, even though it's all friendships, it can feel a little more transactional, all that kind of stuff. And so I was starting to just kind of feel like, I was wishing that I was part of a team. And one, that's one thing that I got when I signed on with Keith, because Keith has a stable, it's grown now. But I think when I signed on, there were maybe nine writers. Uh-huh. And when I go into that room, everyone in that room is can play the piano as well or better than me, which is amazing. That's a great room to be in for me. It's yeah. a great opportunity to be around people who have a, a musical depth that exceeds mine. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be the thing that I'm good at. And then all these people also have like degrees. They're, they're, you know, they're like, they're really educated people, which I'm not really, I'm musically educated, but beyond that, not really. And so it's an amazing room to be in because it's people who are practicing my same craft, but they also like, there's so much to be learned from them. I feel like, I'm, I mean, I'm in good company musically, but I'm definitely challenged musically as well. So um, pretty amazing to be a part of a team. And amazing to um, to just have a reason to write. You know, I wrote a couple of solo records in the uh, about ten years ago, and I love them, and I love those songs, and I've continued to write those kind of songs. But it's difficult to write those kind of songs when there's not a 
place to put them or, or a way to, you know, like because of the fact that production pays for my family's life and I have four kids right. and that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, it has made it difficult to find a way to, you know, sub- sustainably keep on writing songs for Ben Shive. Um, yeah. And so to have someone say, I would like to pay you to write songs was pretty amazing. Like, yeah. Gave now, me are you out of, the, out of the, uh, the producing business now? No, I'm, I am still in the producing business. What I did actually, that's a whole nother, um, that's so Midwestern of me to say whole nother, but yeah, right. Um, that's a whole other thing. I, um, so yes, I'm still producing at the time that I started doing the Getty thing. I knew that I was going to have to find a way to carve out time to, to write. I, I was going to owe them something like, I think it's, I owe them five songs a year, but because it's all co-writing and, and so I only keep a percentage of each song, mm-hmm. it's more like I need to write 15 to 20 songs mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed to carve out the time to do that. I was working with the Hellers at the time and they had this idea of like, Hey, we work every day from 10 to six, usually sometime around three in the afternoon. We all just want to go home. What if we went home? Like, <laughs> What if we called it a day every day at three, what would happen to our productivity? Because we also noticed uh, that I get fatigued around three in the afternoon from yeah. creativity and decision-making and all this stuff. Yeah. And it just, everything gets harder. Everything turns into a slog from three to six. Yeah. So we did, we, we started going home every day, somewhere between two thirty and three and our productivity didn't change <laughs> at all. Wow. Like we, we continued to like, I would, up to that point, I was writing an. A, so what I do for the Hellers is I write orchestra music. Uh-huh. So I was writing an, like an orchestration about every two days, and yeah. now working three hours less a day, I'm actually writing an orchestration about every one day. Wow. So, <laughs> and that's because part of the, part of that is just that I've gotten better and quicker. But yeah. also, cutting off that last three hours of the day was just cutting off the worst part of the day. Yeah. And so, um, basically, once I figured out that that worked. I just kind of applied that to everything I work on now. Any anytime I'm producing, I just produce about ten to three, and then we we go our merry way, and that gives me three to six every day to write. So okay. it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I've got. I mean, in some of those days, I end up, you know, I end up doing busy work or you know other things that have to have to not slip through the cracks. But I definitely get to write a lot more yeah. than I used to. That's great. Yeah. So it, it it's been really amazing. You're so we say you got a. The the team of writers over at Getty was yeah. nine people when you got there. I guess it's bigger now. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it might be 11 or 12. Right. Yeah. And are these yeah. uh, people all in Nashville and y'all are just going, sitting in the no. same room together? No, they're from all over the place. Uh, like, for example, there's a guy named Matt Boswell, who's a pastor in Texas and is just a great writer and lyricist. So he comes in. Um, Laura Story, uh, who used to travel with Andrew and me right when I started with Andrew, Laura lives down in um, Atlanta, so she comes up. Yeah, so people are from all over. Yeah. About probably five or six of us are from Nashville. Sky Peterson's on that team. She's, she uh-huh. lives here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you are writing, we're, we're calling these hymns. Yeah. Maybe call them worship music. I'm, well, I'm curious, what's, if you had to define hymn right now um, as, as a subset of worship music, how would you define it? Oh, well, that's a great question. I guess I would, I guess I would think of it in terms of. I'm not going to be able to give a, give a good definition. I mean, the, no, it's great. Uh, I think of it as being um, uh, wordier, yeah, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, 
mostly better. I mean, as far as I'm, you know, I, I like wordier songs with complete yeah. sentences. Um, and, uh, not, not exactly telling a story, um, distinct from a, uh, sort of a, a praise course that, that is relies on repetition, but, but rather mm-hmm. progresses through verses and probably has a refrain or a chorus. But that's you put me on the spot. I don't. I don't know. No, man. That's actually. I feel like that's one of the best answers that I've ever heard. That's really, really good. That kind of hits on some things I've not quite been able to put into words. I mean, what, we've had this conversation a few times, and one of the other things that we've come up with is that it tends to sing well without accompaniment, uh, whereas modern, like pop music, tends to rely on the rhythms of the accompaniment. Uh-huh. to make it work so that uh-huh. it's going to mean that it's going to have rhythms that are easy to follow and it's usually going to have a little more of a melody whereas yeah. pop music can kind of drone on one note and it's interesting because the band is interesting huh. so i think that's one part of it but i think what you said about less it's less it's less reliant on repetition that's huge uh-huh. and i think it reads a little more like it tends to read metrically like if you if you just read the lyric you're going to be speaking in verse you know mm-hmm. so i, I think yeah. that's kind of what it is yeah you uh said in your producing career you were focusing on producing independent literary singer songwriters yeah. and yeah. There, was, there was another uh, adjective besides literary that i thought was interesting and i i, I now don't remember what you said i don't know if you remember mm. what you said or not i don't know um and talk to me about the difference between um I think of hymns as not being especially literary. And mm. th- and I don't mean that as a as a negative. It's it's just the fact of it it has to be accessible. Um yeah. I don't expect a hymn, for instance, to rely on an elaborate extended metaphor, although a yes. mighty fortress certainly does. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's actually one of the, that's been one of the most difficult things about trying to learn how to hymn write. And I think I'm still on that learning curve in a big way. So I've got a long way to go. But yes, that's been one of the things that's thrown me for a loop is that I've always relied heavily on metaphor and wordplay. Uh-huh. Those are my favorite things. Yeah. And those things have to be used differently, carefully. Definitely. Uh, metaphor is especially difficult Yeah. to really do. Um, and wordplay, any anything that you do that makes people go, oh, I'm singing a song right now. Like, yeah. oh, oh, see what he did. That's yeah, like right. it's a bit of a failure. You don't yeah. you don't really want to create that moment. You want people to be able to just purely worship from their heart. And you and you, um, yeah, you, I mean, you said it. That's exactly right. So it's. I think. I mean, hymns can be. She. Uh, she herself has union with God, the three in one and mystic sweet communion when something on earth is done. I don't remember. I mean, there can be really amazing lines, mm-hmm. but again, it's, it's more on the nose. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going directly. I'm used to coming at things from an angle yeah. and hymns just go right at it. And when so we, it, it, now I don't know if this is, I, I'm probably overgeneralizing here, but I think of uh, the, when we use a metaphor in hymn, and a hymn as distinct from other kinds of songs, it tends to be drawn from scripture or, yeah. or long tradition. It's not inventive. Yeah. It's funny how That's... all this sounds like we're being critical, but it's, it's, it's a, de- a, a democratic 
approach to song. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and maybe we are being critical, but it's like if if you're playing at a polka party yeah. and you're like, I don't want to go um pa pa um pa pa. It's like <laughs> that's fine, but you shouldn't play at the polka party. So it's yeah. kind of like you can you can decide that polka is lame because it goes um pa pa, but polka goes um pa pa, so you gotta do it. Yeah. And that's what it is here. It's like and and there's a reason that worship music is the way that it is. It's like there's we're trying to put words in everybody's mouths. Yeah. And so you could call it misguided that we don't use extended metaphors and that we don't use like clever, extremely clever wordplay. I'm not sure that it is misguided. And whether it is or not, it's what we it's the convention. So if you break the convention too much, you become a distraction. So yeah. that's fine. You could choose to do something else. But if you're going to choose to write worship music and maybe hymns specifically, then I think really the best is to accept the conventions of it and go, okay, where's the freedom within this? And how can I level it up? And yeah. I mean, part of the reason that I think it's such a good exercise for me is that I'm so judgmental about it. I've known, mm. I mean, I knew, knew for years, like, I'm so judgy about the music that we sing in church that I just know I'm going to have to try my hand at it someday and realize mm. how hard it is. And it's yeah. even harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, wow. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. Because what can you say that hasn't already been said? Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, between like scripture having already said whatever, what scripture says, and then thousands of years of Christians writing songs based on the scripture, there's not a whole lot of unplowed ground. Uh -huh. And so, yeah. So what's, there's, okay, uh, that's, and thank goodness, uh, there's not a lot of unplowed ground, but what yeah. do you do? It, I mean, so what do you do? Yeah. I don't that's know. not rhetorical. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I think that, um, you know, one thing I do is Sky Peterson and I, I, I kind of pulled Sky into the room shortly after I came into the room. And we both had the same amount of like, maybe I have a little more than her, but like w willingness to sort of bend to the convention of it. Uh -huh. But also we both share a reluctance as well in that same, you know, reluctance to bend too much. And we, we both come from the same discipline because we both kind of learned how to write songs from Andrew Peterson. Mm -hmm. And so we're just a good pair because I think having her as a buddy, we get into the room and we go, today I'm feeling like playing by the rules. Let's do it. Or we go, mm -hmm. and today I'm, I'm mad that we have to play by these rules. Let's, let's push against them a little bit and see what we get. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh i mean i'll tell you what's a joy about it i mean it's just like i, I have always liked songwriting as puzzle working so songwriting mm -hmm. is, writing isn't isn't primarily self-expression for me mm -hmm. um it's in there i like to i mean i obviously want to express something but like i really get the pleasure when i feel like i had a concept and then i worked the puzzle and now i can see the picture you know mm -hmm. and so you know the the hymn writing thing it's like on the one hand, it's a melodic puzzle because you want to find a way to write a melody that's got a signature and that it's not just a melody that you've heard before, but you have to write it in such a way that you feel like every move is either predictable mm -hmm. and followable, or it's a surprise, but it's the right surprise at the right time. And so it's very meticulous melody writing, um, which is great. I mean, that's yeah. such a discipline. Whereas, 
so like when you're if you're writing a james taylor song you get to the second verse second line and you're like there's something i want to say in this line that's going to take me a different number of syllables than it took me in the second line of the first verse and so you go okay yeah you know and you just change the number of syllables you yeah. just like say it rhythmically however you want to say it and then you write the third line and you go i think i'm done there was a fourth line in the first verse but i don't feel like writing a fourth line in this one i'm going to skip straight to the chorus and that's only going to make your song cooler yeah. but you don't you can't do that here yeah this i mean you can but you have to be careful because yeah. you need to you need to take people with you you need people it's not people aren't going to be listening to your song they're going to be singing your song and because we don't look at hymnals anymore they're going to be singing your song without sheet music so mm -hmm. you got to help them as much as you can and uh so i think if you're willing to accept that challenge it's a really cool one it's like okay let me learn how to write a melody that people can follow that still surprises them a little and it's interesting enough and that's great it's great doing that with sky because she's got such a great melodic sense yeah. um man another thing that's been a, a puzzle just um another example would be because i'm not a singer singer when i'm writing songs for myself i tend to rely on kind of rappy rhythmic phrasing like mm -hmm. quick punctuated kind of lines like the way that i'm talking right now is the way that i write my songs but because you're writing for a congregation you actually they want to hear themselves sing and so for many pop songwriters that's an easy task but i have never written the kind of choruses where it's like and then i get to the chorus and my voice soars <laughs> and i sing long notes like i don't really do that yeah and so i'm that's another thing that i'm having to go i'm not writing for myself to deliver this song i'm writing for the congregation to hear itself sing and so i need to write to learn how to write a whole new kind of chorus mm -hmm. and like singer songwriter choruses tend to like want to resolve downward at the end into this little thoughtful moment and worship songs can do that they definitely can but oftentimes they actually want to they want to not resolve down but they want to like hit a, a high note at the end of the chorus which is also just totally contrary to my my tendency so it's all that to say that's all been about melody i could say just as much about the lyrical challenges um you know you have to write in true verse it's like you, you your syllables have to match line for line and then you you know you have to be when you're doing that like um when i'm writing singer songwriter music i'm going to just bend the phrasing to make the enunciation of the line that i wanted to write work so mm -hmm. all the syllables are going to be enunciated correctly because i'm just going to phrase them how i want to phrase them when it's time to sing them yeah. and when you're writing in verse for him you gotta you're, you're going to be working with the same rhythms every verse so you have to really work to make the accents of your syllables fall in the right places. It's very challenging. Yeah. yeah. I mean, are you uh, writing with the standard meters that the the what we're used to from hymns? You're not doing anything different. I think I am not. I so I think you know Sky and I are not as educated as everybody else in the room about hymnody, and I think we've decided to remain a little uneducated so that we can. <laughs> bring our ignorance into the convention yeah. a little bit you know <laughs> so i think the other guys in the room will be like oh is this a standard 992 or if that's not even a thing but you know that they can talk in those terms and we're like i don't know hadn't thought uh, about it yeah yeah um a little while ago you said uh, songwriters everywhere about self-expression yeah uh mm -hmm. which i believe i mean I, I i i believe you when you say that on the other hand 
you do end up expressing yourself. I mean, at your two albums that yeah. you made, those yeah. all sound like Ben Shive. And so you have expressed yeah. yourself, even though you weren't setting out to express yourself. Right. Right. I mean, I guess the question is, what is a self? <laughs> like, what is myself? You know, because yeah. I, I think for me, I guess expressing myself would be probably just showing the insides of my brain, like the way that my brain works and the kind of lyrics that I like. It's, mm -hmm. I, I guess when I said I don't, I'm not expressing myself, I, I, I rarely sit down to go, I'm feeling this way today. Let me tell you about how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It tends to be more like I had an idea. Yeah. I saw two things that went together and let me show you how I think they correlate. Yeah. And I guess that that is self-expression because I'm expressing my mind. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, but it's, it's I, I guess I think of it, the way it's not catharsis for me. It's not emotional right, catharsis. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, mean, I think it's important for a writer just to take self-expression for granted. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Self-expression is going to happen. Yeah. It's not my goal. It's just yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And when I, when I, you know, when I speak, for instance, it always sounds like somebody who grew up in Georgia and spent his adult life in Tennessee. That's just kind of my accent. Uh -huh. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's not a function even of what I'm saying necessarily. It still sounds like me. And, yeah. But I've wondered. So as you as we've been talking, I feel like I if, even though I could put my finger on it, what it mean what a Ben Shive song is. I'm not sure I could you know even do as well with that as I did with the definition of a hymn. But I feel like I can hear it when I hear it. If I mm -hmm. were to hear some of these hymns you've been writing, would I would I say, oh, I, I think Ben might have written that? Um, I would think not yet. Mm -hmm. I I would hope that. So at some point you'd be able to hear that a little bit. I'm trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To some degree though, I'm not sure if you ever will in, in some ways, because I really think when I'm at my best as Ben Shive, I'm the word play is always happening. It's just mm -hmm. always yeah. every syllable. If I can help it is going to yeah. rhyme or alliterate somewhere. Um, and then there's usually some kind of a, metaphor that's the whole song yeah. and so and also there's going to be certain i mean like i said it's going to have a certain kind of rappiness to it that a congregation isn't going to do easily mm -hmm. um so yeah there there's probably some ways in which i guess the answer is no you're not just gonna you're just not yeah. gonna be able to tell yeah. um but i'm okay with that sure because i'm still i'm still writing ben shive songs too um mm -hmm. but this is a different thing yeah yeah I'm curious, um, we were talking about self-expression a second ago. So it's been my experience, like one of the things that I love about songwriting is that if I create sort of a a conceit for a song or, you know, like a, I have the idea of what the song is, just by like almost filling out the worksheet, just kind of like ticking off the boxes of writing the verses and like, especially getting into the nitty gritty, like when I when I go just like follow a chain of like alliterating words or words that um, have assonance or whatever it is, I end up accidentally saying things I didn't even know that I knew just mm -hmm. because I'm just follow, I'm following the rules of the song and I'm following the kind of poetic devices along the chain of words. And next thing I know, there's a line there and I just said something that I didn't know that I knew. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, is there a corollary to that in the, in the kind of work that you do with words? Um, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I'm, I have written poems and 
have experienced that to a certain degree in in poems as you're, you know, and when I write poems, it's old fashioned rhyme meter, all that kind of stuff. And and as I am looking for words that rhyme, I think, oh, wait a minute, this is rather than forcing the meaning to match the rhyme. Right. I mean, I don't want to do that. But on the other hand, sometimes those constraints, you know, as you, I mean, it's, it's, the, the exact same things you're talking about are just as true for writing poems as they are for writing song lyrics. It doesn't yeah. feel quite as, um, I, I don't experience that in writing prose the way mm. you, you've described. When, you're, when you've written stories, are you ever surprised by the, a turn that the story takes? Yeah. Yeah. Of, of the, I mean, I've written four novels and I think maybe one ended the way I was expecting it to end. Mm. And, um, and I think it's so important. I'm sure you've experienced this in in songwriting that that you not hold too closely what you think this thing is about when you start because mm-hmm. you're not going to be as there's no way you're as smart at the beginning of the process as you are deep into the process. Yeah. And if I'm holding too tightly to what the idea was to start with, I'm limiting myself to to what was going on. And you're you're also limiting yourself to your conscious mind when you do that. Yes, you know. Yeah, and maybe that's. That might be one of the challenges of this hymn thing is that there is a tendency when you go to write a hymn, you go, okay, we've got a title or at least an idea. It's yeah. better if you've got a title. And then you kind of go, probably our verses are going to take this form. Mm-hmm. Like verse one is going to do this, verse two is going to do that. You've got a sense of that. Um, and then you spend so much time like in the trenches of the of the verse. But like what I heard and what you were just saying is that there's like a, it's like play and, and mm-hmm. like mirth that yeah. happens. And I think that maybe I haven't gotten to that point as a hymn writer yet, where I'm huh. able to just like play and stay open and like, accept that the song might go somewhere different than what, what I expected it to do and just have my ears open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think surprise is such an important part of the gospel, but the whole point, the whole point is, you think you know how this is going to end, and then you don't, and they're and uh-huh. it's surprising. Um, and and so surprise is baked into the universe, as yeah. you know, as among the the deepest truths of reality. Yeah. Um, you in in your hymn in your hymn writing, and as in your other kind of writing, you're trying to get at the the deepest realities of reality one of those is surprise yeah. yeah does that change anything about what what's at your fingertips as a hymn writer because okay. i hear you I, you know i, I don't oh, expect a, you know i expect my hymns to maybe in the fourth verse we're going to talk about you know judgment day you know uh-huh. like we're yeah we're hitting the four you know the whatever you know they're, they're but i don't expect my hymns to really Surprised me at the end. I, you know, I don't expect it to yeah. be an Andy Gullihorn song. Right. Yeah, I have been wondering if, yeah, we, we call what Andy Gullihorn does the turn. It's like uh-huh. when the last chorus turns and, and takes on a different meaning. And I have wondered about, could that be done in a worship song? Is there a, is there a chorus title for a worship song? I'm sure it could be. I'm, yeah. I've got my eye on that. I do know that I, I think because I, even, okay, so, Lyrically and musically, I've had to take on new constraints and new challenges trying to write hymns. The the melodic challenge and change has not been as drastic, 
Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've been a little quicker to figure out how to keep, like what we say is that people want to, the audience wants to be right 80% of the time. Mm, so like yeah. they, they, they want to pretty much get what they were expecting 80% of the time, but they, they need that 20% where they get something different than what they expect or they're bored. Yeah. And I think that especially when Sky and I are writing melodies together, we know like there has to be something in that melody that's a little hard for them to, to get just challenging enough uh-huh. that they go like, Oh, there's this jump and I got to figure out how to do it. Uh-huh. So I think that we're, we've been pretty quick to figure out how to surprise people there. Um, you can't use some of the devices. Like you're not going to tend to, so, you, so you've also got to deal with the fact that you're putting these songs in front of musicians of all stripes, huh. of all okay. skill levels. Yeah. So you have to be careful not to use your whole bag of chords. You got to uh-huh. like, you, you got to not throw too many curveballs at people. So you know, we have to find a way to create musical depth without using every chord we know. And you yeah. also don't want to, even if they can perform some of the choices that you could make, you wouldn't want them to because they would draw attention to themselves. Uh-huh. Like there are certain chords that when you hear that chord, you go like, oh, Brian Wilson. Well, you don't want uh-huh. someone going, oh, Brian Wilson in church necessarily. <laughs> you might, but you have yeah. to be careful with that, you know? So yeah, yeah we're, we're having to learn new ways to create color and surprise and all of that. And then yeah. on the lyrical side, I'm just not there yet. We're, yeah. I'm not saying we haven't written any good lyrics. I think we've actually written some good lyrics. Uh huh. I think there has, to I don't be feel some... like we're the best in the world yet. Yeah. And I think we could, I think we could be that level. Yeah. You know, we could be world-class if we could keep, keep at it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I think Sky's a great writer. I know she has confidence in me. So, but we'll just well, have to see. Yeah, I, there has to be, but if surprise, I mean, you know, if I'm telling the truth that surprise is central to the gospel, gospel yeah. songs have to make room for surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I sure. just can't think of an example of a hymn that, uh-huh. I mean, that maybe maybe some of the hymns that don't surprise me would have been surprising. I guess, you know, the, the I'll tell you what's surprising, the, the third verse of, uh, of, um, Oh shoot! Now I'm on, now I put myself on the spot. Um, the third verse of one of my very favorite hymns. Uh, you know that that uh, <laughs> prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You know, I wasn't uh-huh. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I agree, and I mean, one of my favorites is "Greatest Thy Faithfulness," and it's got it's got a diminished chord, which is just basically I don't need to go into it, but it's an expensive chord, you know, and it's got one of those in the chorus. Uh-huh. You don't really expect it, and uh-huh. it's good that it's there. So yeah. yeah, I think it's all it's surprising, and it's got some colorful notes in it. Yeah. So I th- I think there's room for it. Well, we uh... but, I, but I do think you know, it's just I, I don't think there's anything I don't think there's anything wrong with like respecting the need of the moment, like, and wanting to write something that's useful and helpful, even if it um, doesn't have some of the, like, I love music that drops my jaw, uh-huh. but I'm not trying to write music that necessarily, I want it to drop my, it's, see, that's, that's too simplistic. Cause I do think a hymn can do that, but it's not going to have some wild left turn that makes you go like, Oh my gosh, my mind just yeah. got blown, you know, musically. Like yeah. we were in D flat and now suddenly we're in G what happened? Like, we're probably not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think there is, there's something it's, I think it's 
I don't know. It sounds like I'm trying to make an apologetic for writing hymns. I think I somewhat am because it can feel like, why would you take on all those constraints and do something like move into a form that's, you know, that's so difficult and confining. But I think it's because ultimately if we can do it well, it's really going to help people. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you, you said it, you've already said it, the, the, the great pop songs 20 years from now, it's, it's a it's a haircut that was stylish twenty years ago, yeah. And, um, and the hymns. I mean, when my dad died in you know, a couple of years ago, what came to me and what was comforting to me were old hymns that I knew when I yeah. was six years old. It, it wasn't you know the the more let's say the less democratized excellent music that I've. Yeah, no, it wasn't Jason Isbell that was coming to me. Yeah, to comfort me. As much as yeah. I love what Jason Isbell does, it was those old hymns. And yeah, that we we've used the word democratization a time or two, and and there's real value to a yeah. to a hymn that we that we all have access to that we're not yeah. just impressed by, but that that we have access to that feel. I mean, a mighty fortress feels like it belongs to me and to everybody mm-hmm. else who sung that yeah. song since yeah the 16th century yeah and i i'm I, to kind of circle back i i think that some of this some of doing this well is just going to be a matter of doing it a lot partly mm-hmm. so that i can improve but partly so that i can just create enough material that somewhere in there there's bound to be something good yeah. <laughs> you know yeah I think that might be the case there. Whereas well, when I go to write a chive song, I know that I'm probably going to do it most of the time. I'm going to do whatever that is, such as it is, mm-hmm. you know, I will yeah. do it almost yeah. every time because I'm the only me, yeah. you know? But, yeah. Yeah. You And you're talking like you, it's almost sound like if I didn't know better, it sounds like you're talking like you're not especially good at it. And I find that hard to believe. Oh, at writing hymns. Yeah. Uh, it's not that I don't think I'm good at it. It's just that I'm, I'm learning and, uh, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm certainly not better at it than my cohort. You know, like we're, okay. we're kind of all, you know what I mean? Okay. I, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I own this place. <laughs> I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> yeah. But it, and it, again, it's it's not that interesting who's better at writing hymns and who. You do what you do, and the people around yeah. you do what they do. And Isaac yeah, yeah. did what he could do. And, you know, it's not a special interesting question of who's better at it. Yeah. Um, Kristen Getty always quotes, I think it's Wordsworth. Somebody, some great poet said that the English hymn is the hardest thing to write, like the hardest thing to write. So I just comfort myself with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who are who are the hymn writers who make you want to go write some more hymns? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so I didn't grow up on a whole lot of hymns. And oh, really? I do read them now, but I don't mm-hmm. always read who the who the authors are. So yeah. I'm just not very educated. I guess so the real the answer good or bad is the people in my circle like when when matt boswell writes a lyric i go okay that's that's the standard that's how that's done Mm -hmm. kristen getty actually too is a is a really really strong 
hymn writer. She just understands what, what the convention is. And then Matt Papa is the is kind of probably the best melody writer in the group. Uh-huh. He just he just knows how to write a melody that makes people want to sing. Yeah. Kind of makes people's voices soar. So those are probably the people that are the most inspiring to me. Yeah, I have started reading. Somebody gave me Spurgeon's old hymnal. Like, uh-huh. I mean, it's a it doesn't it didn't belong to Spurgeon. It's a published <laughs> book called Spurgeon's Own Hymnal or something like uh-huh. that. And so I, I read hymns out of there. Those are great. I read I read the metrical, I guess the Scottish like metrical psalms uh-huh. out of there. Yeah. Those are helpful. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah. All right, man. We should probably wrap up. Uh, thanks. And Thank I'm, you. This I'm is really, great. I'm so glad to know that you are writing songs that we're going to be singing. And um, as much as I really love the songs that that you write for the you know for your own self and for the train professionals to sing, but I'm excited to see what happens when you uh, when you write stuff for me to sing. Thanks, and thanks thanks for having me on. Thanks for asking such thoughtful questions. This helped me think through what I'm doing. Excellent. Appreciate it. All right, good to talk to you. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. 